for epilepsy, there is hope. Hey podcast listeners, Tori Robinson here for Epilepsy Sparks Insights, a podcast about epilepsy, epilepsy research, common comorbidities, and all of the fascinating science behind it. Whether you have epilepsy, are a family member, a neurologist, neuropsychiatrist, therapist, neurophysiologist, scientist, or researcher, Epilepsy Sparks Insights is designed to help you learn more about epilepsy from the other side of the table. I'm a person with epilepsy and some missing brain tissue. I hope to help bridge the unnecessary gap between patients, the public, and the aforementioned. Because epilepsy research and science are cool. Last week, we spoke with Rohit Shankar, a professor and consultant in developmental neuropsychiatry for adults with intellectual disabilities, many of whom also have epilepsy, all about his invaluable role and how we must provide people with a voice. Today, I'm chatting with Javier Cervellos, an advanced nursing practitioner in epilepsy candidate at Beaumont Hospital in Dublin in the Republic of Ireland. Since qualifying as a registered nurse in 2015 and completing a dissertation in temporal lobe epilepsy at the University of Cantabria in Spain, Javier has worked at the National Hospital for Neurology and Neurosurgery and at King's College London and at St Guy's and St Thomas's, doing both clinical work, working with patients, and doing epilepsy research. He's currently doing his master's in advanced practice at RCSI, has recently enrolled in a master's in neuromodulation at Leeds Beckett as well, because he needs to do more. Javier and I first met at the PAL Epilepsy Research Lab at King's College London, prior lockdown, of course, where he was then an epilepsy research nurse and did a cool guest blog, actually, for Epilepsy Sparks. You can find the links for both the blog and the lab in the text accompanying this recording. If you're new to our channel, make sure you subscribe and hit that bell for notifications. This is a weekly podcast slash video. Don't go anywhere. Stay with us. So tell us, what's got you into your role as an epilepsy nurse and uh, yeah, what, why is this your passion? I should start saying that uh, my interest uh, for epilepsy came when I was a, a nursing student at the University of, Cant of Cantabria in the north of Spain. Uh, I've been always very interested for neuroscience, so I had the opportunity to do my internships as a student nurse in neurology and neurosurgery especially uh, so in the last year in the fourth year we have to do a dissertation program about any topic and when i was a student i saw in the neurophysiology department once an eeg and i was so fascinated about these thousand of lines that i didn't know what they mean and sometimes I, and i today i still have sometimes the same problem <laughs> So I I choose uh, I choose epilepsy as the as the topic. Especially I I choose temporal lobe epilepsy. Um, by that time I met a a consultant in clinical neurophysiology, Professor Fernandez Torre from Santander, who opened me the door of this field and he told me um, that if I would like to get trained, uh, I could go to the UK and there are a few. He told me that there were a few good centers to get trained. Uh, he was at King's College 20 years ago, 21 years ago. So yeah, uh, I started learning English uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I applied for a job. I started working first in, in Blackpool up in the north. And then I saw an opportunity in the telemetry, in the video EEG telemetry unit at uh, Queen Square. So I decided to go, to go there and 
learn as much as I can. So I spent there two years and after that I saw an opportunity to do research at the King's College Hospital and I have that problem that I make myself many questions. So I thought like research is that place. So I spent uh, one year and a half between King's College London and St. Thomas Hospital doing research under the supervision of Professor Ted Pal and Professor Mark Richardson. And then I decided to move to Ireland because uh, I thought like this was a good opportunity. Uh, it's like a trainship position. Uh, so yeah, I thought like it could be a good idea to mix the clinical and research experience and yeah. So what are you actually doing right now? I mean, it's, it's a great background story, but what, what, and what brought you to Ireland? Like, why did you leave the British Isles and you go over, over <laughs> water? <laughs> So the, the most exciting thing of my role, and that was the reason why, why I came, is because it's a trainship position. So it allows you to develop uh, yourself. And it's a very nice uh, program uh, where you uh, basically need to complete a few, you need to tick a few boxes, like the Master in Advanced Practice and the Prescribing Certificate. And also, uh, obviously, complete uh, many clinical hours under the, under the supervision of registered advanced nurse practitioners and, and neurologists and neurophysiologists and, and different uh, members of the team. So I thought it was a very good opportunity because of the training. What keeps you going in your role? Like, what is the difference that you know that you are making and will make in the future? Because it's easy enough, I guess, for us to see something which we find fascinating, such as EEGs. But what keeps you doing what you're doing and helping us a lot, I guess? Epilepsy is a very complex group of uh, syndrome. Uh, and there are many areas that you can that you can discover, uh, like genetics, uh, EEG, neuroimaging. Uh, so you you can get trained in from very different perspectives, and that was makes epilepsy very exciting for me. And also, uh, I think uh, that we can really change the life of patients, and we can help patients. And not even only the patients, but also their families, right? Because mm -hmm. often I find that you might have, say, a, a child, or a child of any age, and that is, um, who has an epilepsy, especially refractory epilepsy, and it's awful. It's health for their families and what they go through, especially if they see their loved ones having seizures. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I especially learned that when I was doing research in childhood epilepsy that uh, the impact that epilepsy have not only on the patients that the interesting thing is sometimes the patient during the seizure they are unaware that they are having exactly. a seizure however the people from outside uh, I understand they got really really scared uh, so it's sometimes more about the impact that epilepsy have also in the families and in the caregivers than in patients sometimes Obviously, the impact in the patient is, is, is amazing. So tell us something random about your job, like something that us lot don't know, because I think most people are, unless they have a wonderful epilepsy nurse, they're lucky enough to, most people don't really know what you guys do. They think of what they consider to be 
oh, a regular nurse if there is such a thing and put a bit of epilepsy on top and it's not quite like that is it the epilepsy nurses at Beaumont we have a telephone advice line which is open from Monday to Thursday so every day we, re we receive about 20 25 to 30 calls of patients our caregivers relatives uh, with very complex problems like a cluster of seizures very prolonged seizures side effects from medication and we uh, try to help them uh, every day uh, changing medications uh, ordering investigations uh, many different ways that uh, and we can do that uh, thanks to electronic patient record that is a technology that we have in Ireland in the epilepsy program so we are able to access to the clinical data of patients in seconds and try to sort out the problem most of the times and we also run the clinics along with the consultants uh, we have some uh, nurse-led clinic like the vagus nerve stimulation uh, the first fit clinic uh, we review patients inside the hospital in the emergency department so please tell us about the work that you are doing regarding status epilepticus and tell everybody what status epilepticus is as well if you can the status epilepticus is one of the most common complications uh, that patients with epilepsy but also that people with epilepsy can have. Uh, and status epilepticus is a prolonged seizure that is not self-terminated uh, or a cluster of seizures uh, that require medication and easily speaking. And sometimes, most of the times, status epilepticus needs uh, to go to the intensive care unit for, uh, for the use of uh, intravenous medication or uh, anesthetic agents and there are different types of status epilepticus uh, like uh, non-convulsive or convulsive generalized focal and it also it's really important what trigger the status epilepticus uh, the etiology of the status epilepticus if it's like uh, metabolic disturbance uh, uh, a brain infection uh, a tumor or on the other hand could be cryptogenic or unknown reasons so basically what we are doing in this audit is we are looking at the at the EG data uh, for uh, for patients that are suspect to have non-convulsive status or convulsive status well I have to say sorry that the convulsive status is a clinical diagnosis because obviously when someone is having a tonic-clonic seizure we won't be able to to have a to get an EEG done uh, and the, th the complex thing with the status epilepticus is that uh, in the case of convulsive status epilepticus we sometimes misdiagnose with pseudo status some people having a psychogenic seizures very prolonged they might be thought to be having a, a convulsive status and they have the risk to end up in ITU uh, intubated and receive a, a ter like a re receive lot of medication and lot of therapies to finish the status and in the non-convulsive status is absolutely the, the opposite like sometimes we don't know why a patient is having an altered mental status 
or a, or a drop in the or a confusion so until we don't have any gene place uh, we can not diagnose uh, the non-convulsive status can you sometimes though see differences in people if you're witnessing the seizure itself and you know i'm no clinician myself but i remember seeing somebody have um a non-epileptic seizure and i could well i thought i could tell that it was not it was not epileptic um but that person was believed by the people in a and e to be having an epileptic seizure and so was given these anti-seizure medications but well, in this instance, I was actually right. It was not an epileptic seizure. How easy is it for you and other clinicians to tell the difference? Non-convulsive seizures are especially sometimes difficult to differentiate between the, especially from the frontal lobe seizures. Right. They could be very, sometimes, they, sometimes the semiology can overlap. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the questions that myself I make to uh, witness of seizure is, for example, if they have the eyes closed or the eyes open, uh, because uh, the epileptic seizures don't tend to ha don't tend to occur with the eyes closed, and some people have non-epileptic seizure and they remi remain the the eyes uh, closed during during the attack, so that might help me to distinguish. Sometimes, uh, and in the case with frontal lobe seizures, it sometimes happens that they tend to cluster, so we sometimes see so many uh, seizures and the recovery of the awareness is very short, so we might think like this is a non-epileptic, but instead is a frontal lobe seizure. Uh, sometimes uh, also uh, the non-epileptic seizures tend to last longer than the epileptic ones, which are normally shorter. Obviously, here we need to exclude in the cases of status. Of course, yeah. <laughs> One of the things I would like to, what we are seeing in the in the cases of uh, of status epilepticus, is that the more time you have uh, an EEG in place recording a patient, the more chances you have to to diagnose, to seek, to cap, to catch yeah. seizures and status epilepticus. The thing is we are having a, obviously we are the, the only center in the Republic of Ireland that performs epilepsy surgery, so we have a very busy telemetry unit. And also we have uh, so many in, uh, outpatient referrals for EEG, so we have a very a very long waiting list. Uh, so we, will, we would like to have like a more continuous EEG monitoring in ITU, but we are having a we have a problem because we don't have that much staff uh, so the obviously the neurophysiology department is very limited at the moment so we cannot afford to have very prolonged recordings how long is it would you classify a prolonged recording as being so normally we record we record for 30 to one hour uh, however in patients in ITU you, you can have seizures more or less up to like normally up to 48 hours that could be a time where you can have the first seizure normally the, the, if a patient is having seizures 50% of the cases occur in the first hour but still you have a percentage after that that we are not recording because we don't have the resources 
the human resources and the technical resources to do such a prolonged monitoring. Do you know what? I'm quite shocked because, um, or as it's interesting because you said that you used to work at Queen Square, right? And I'm actually a patient at Queen Square, and that's why I personally had my video telemetry. And so, um, and the first time it didn't work. Well, it you know the system worked, but I was so relaxed I didn't have a seizure, and that's not uncommon, right? And then the so the second time I was so nervous that I wasn't going to have one. I was like, come on, it's the only time you want to have a flipping seizure. But that still took like, I think three or four days. But from what you're saying, that wouldn't even be possible where you are at the moment. From the status epilepticus point of view, the clinical scientists uh, go to the ITU and they place the electrodes and they keep for 30 minutes, one hour. Obviously, the burden to catch abnormalities or epileptiform activity is very is very limited I would say and uh, this is the same when you have a, a pre-surgical evaluation for telemetry the lo the longer you record the more chances you have to to catch uh, seizures and interictal activity and I've seen that in Queen Square many times patient coming waiting for for one year to come and when they come they they never have seizures um, it's very frustrating. It's very frustrating. Frustrating for both parties, both yeah, both clinicians and patients and, and families. Gosh, if only we could predict the brain better, that would that would be wonderful. So, um, so this is uh, so that's a bit about the research that you're doing. And um, where do you see yourself and I guess the industry of your work in the next sort of one to five years? I hope that uh, in the next years we will be able to do brain monitoring in more patients uh, longer time and being mm, less invasive or at least be uh, be able to store like a more amount of data and I think I think well, I hope that uh, we will be able to do more uh, home monitoring more brain monitoring like mm. I was one of the things um, I was looking at this. I've, I've I've seen so far, despite we have a, a small reduce of data yet, is that most of the patients we have in in uh, status epilepticus have no history of uh, epilepsy. Right. I yeah. I read something about that that you sent me. Tell us more about that. One of the interesting things that we are seeing is like most of the patients in our cohort that are suffering from status epilepticus never had a seizure before um, because of the fact that they have had like a meningitis or a subarachnoid hemorrhage, a stroke or a tumor, they end up uh, developing seizures. So once we have uh, put an EEG and look, we have seen the status epilepticus and also uh, we have a, a, a high number of patients that after having a cardiac arrest they had a status epilepticus afterward and we are seeing that this uh, is not a is not a good outcome is they well, they, no. they have a very bad prognosis and this has been reported already in previous papers so sometimes when we have a cardiac arrest, we don't we don't think that much in the brain monitoring. But I think in the future we are gonna be more like more holistic and put 
the brain monitoring like uh, like like a predominant role to do that would be that well i say that would be great that will be great um and it's just another example of how epilepsy affects people from all different backgrounds all different forms of um health or, or lack thereof you know do you work with um other professionals from overseas at all given your wonderfully um cool uh international background or are you based with uh colleagues only in ireland at the moment so so far uh i i work with my colleagues at beaumont hospital uh, most of them have uh, international training and international background so you can find people from different places and train in america or in the uk and i keep all, always my links with my colleagues from santander hospital from the neurophysiology department but and obviously uh, connections with my friends in the uk but so far i wouldn't say that i am involved in anything at international level i hope one day <laughs> oh you totally will i know you will because you're such a multinational guy just for everyone knows so everyone knows that we actually met at king's college hospital didn't we Oh, it was yeah. ages ago two years ago it was before the pandemic but looks so, so yeah. long ago it just seems like an age ago like so long ago it's ridiculous because so much has happened so much has happened okay i keep referring to you as an epilepsy nurse but you're more precise than that aren't you you've got what's your official title so my official title is as a candidate advanced nurse practitioner so i am hopefully when, whenever i hopefully in two years when i complete the advanced practice program i will be as a registered advanced nurse practitioner this is one of the things that ireland has implanted quite well they have developed the advanced nurse practice quite well actually and i know that you have interviewed one of our colleagues uh, moira white who is uh who is a uh, big responsible of uh, the developing of the advanced uh, nurse practice in in ireland she's great i do just find i almost feel a bit of a bias myself towards ireland now because i've met so many wonderful people working for those with epilepsy and it's it's like really inspiring and you did mention before um and if you could just tell us a little bit more about the easy access to people's data um both easy access for patients as well as clinicians um which is safe as well as easy access might i add are, are you involved with that quite a bit because i think you said something about it when you speak to people electronic patient record is my best friend at beaumont hospital <laughs> 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 it was implanted a few years ago so as soon as as soon as i i came they gave me a credentials to access to epr and i was so fascinated because you only need to put the name of the patient or the number or the date of birth and it brings you all the data in seconds so you can access to the to investigations to uh, current medication past medication the reason why the patient failed medication the different types of seizures uh, I never seen anything like the EPR that we have uh, in Ireland. It makes the practice very, very quick, very safe. 
and each of those things but i was thinking especially speed can be crucial when it comes to epilepsy right you need people's data now and i yeah why are not more of us doing it it's it's well i know that there are various issues behind things but i just think it's really inspiring what you guys are doing and that yeah other people should learn from it can you tell me uh, how do you work with the neurologists and um neurophysiologists like where do you fit in like in the puzzle if you like well neurologists and neurophysiologists are uh, a reference uh, in my work so any time that i need to discuss a complex patient uh, i have them there and I have a medical mentor uh, who is uh, Dr. Peter Withers Walsh. So also we run clinic uh, with consultants. So we always have them for uh, discussions. So yeah, uh, we have different consultants here: Professor Delanti, Dr. Withers Walsh, Dr. El Nagar. That we work uh, with them like every day. So yeah, we have a very uh, short uh, link and obvi obviously it's a source of training and uh, and a big support and also th the same with the neurophysiologists like we have a, a super busy neurophysiologist department and the same they are very very good uh, they work like super hard and they have a super busy department obviously a bit limited in terms of uh, human resources and technical resources so i hope the hospital uh, support them a bit more very subtle well i'm i back you totally and i did have my ancestry looked into shall we say and uh, since i am apparently about 31 percent irish that i vote for you to have more nurses that side so um but you know what it's really from our perspective it's very reassuring to hear um about how you are meeting with your with your colleagues daily because I can pretty safely say from the perspective of many people with the epilepsies and the families, all we do is we go and see um, the neurologist, great, then another appointment, whatever other day, then we go and see you guys. And then the same goes, we go and have your EEG or your MRI or whatever. And it's all very separate. We don't know about, you know, you guys actually communicating frequently and how things work. So yeah, I think what you're saying is very reassuring for us to know that there's more going on behind the scenes. I am really surprised since uh, since I came, like because we really work as a as a team, and we always have the the neurologist next to us, and we are always next to a neurologist for to to help each other. So from that point of view, uh, I think. I can reassure my patients that they are well looked after by the team and uh, uh, neurologists always come to our office to ask for help if they need help, if we need any kind of support and with all my consultants and my fellows I can call them if I have any any problems so I am very very well support and I think my, my senior AMPs are also the same. Actually how many epilepsy nurses have you got? So at the moment, uh, we I have uh, four registered advanced nurse practitioners. Not all of them work in a uh, full time, and also uh, Moira White sadly retired for us. <laughs> and <laughs> and we also have, uh, and this is very important also for me to mention, we have two clinical nurse specialists in the epilepsy surgery field, 
and also another of our senior CNS colleague uh, Patricia Ennis who retired a few a few weeks ago and probably is enjoying the time with Moira White. <laughs> <laughs> but so do you need do you need other people to come and try and step into their shoes then? Are you recruiting? We are uh, recruiting uh, the replace the replacements of Moira if if that can happen. And we have uh, recruited a new uh, CNS in epilepsy surgery who has joined uh, weeks ago. So I'm not the most junior anymore. Yay! <laughs> well, you know when we're allowed, I'm totally coming over to visit you, right? Oh, you'll have to, you'll have to make me like a combination meal of like with a bit of Irish and with a bit of Spanish in there. I'll put, you know, nice and multicultural and everything. Um, cool. So. Is there anything else you would like to add for everybody? And we'll probably, by the way, we'll probably remember afterwards, oh, I should have asked that or I should have said that, don't worry. We can maybe even do this like again at another time so that you can add how you've gotten on and promote more what you do. One of the things that I, I, would, I would really like to emphasize is I would like to raise the awareness of uh, people with epilepsies and learning disabilities, which is a, a very difficult combination is a very difficult uh, trip made to have and we found pa these patients sometimes with uh, status epilepticos as well and they are not quite well recognized because they don't present with maybe with a tonic clonic or maybe they can present just with more subtle seizures or non-convulsive seizures and they might spend a few days in the in a medical ward uh, continuously ceasing over the day uh, so yeah it's very important for us to have access to more EG monitoring and more resources that obviously it will improve the the outcome of the patients because we will be able to treat them quicker and more effective so important I mean I know somebody actually with learning disabilities who went into status epilepticus and ended up she couldn't come out of it had a stroke and we don't you know people don't are a bit scared to talk about these things but that's how dangerous status epilepticus can be right and i think even yeah like you're saying even it can be even more dangerous if people aren't able to notice differences in the people with the learning disabilities H how are we gonna get more people to notice then how are you going to change the world are we going to train people better <laughs> I think I think what we need to do is we need to increase the training uh, from the specialists in epilepsy uh, to non-specialists, uh, clinicians and caregivers. Uh, so whenever they look after people with uh, epilepsy with learning disabilities, they will be probably. Uh, more knowledgeable about the risks um, because sometimes people think that epilepsy is only tonic-clonic seizures and absence and that's all and that's very and that's not correct and it's our role to raise the awareness and train them at the end of the day. Do you know what you're making me think of somebody else I know who has severe the most severe actually learning difficulties I've ever come across um, and has many other comorbidities. Um, and I tell you what, if I didn't know she had epilepsy, 
I would not know if she was having a seizure because she has focal seizures and she doesn't have complete what most people would consider awareness anyway. So I can really easily see how it could be hard to notice if somebody is having a seizure if you're not properly trained. That's the problem and one of the risks with the people with learning disabilities that the cognitive baseline can be severely from mildly to severely like hardly affected. So uh, people from outside cannot know if they are having a seizure or if they are posictal or, or what. So that's why it's EEG monitoring is so important. It's estimated 30% of people diagnosed with epilepsy don't have epilepsy. And I, I bet that's not shocking to you, is it? The rates of misdiagnosis, uh, and I don't know if it could be even higher depending on the populations. And, and I think when, when I was climbing for, ma for more human resources and more technical resources, is because sometimes the patient waits for so long to have an EEG, and in the meantime, we might have a start medication already. So sometimes the patient gets treated in a different hospital, and they overread epilepsy, and the patient takes anti-epileptic medication, so you tend to have that the patient has epilepsy, and sometimes the diagnosis is not formal. So that's why I think like uh, having more resources to for imaging and for neurophysiology and genetic, obviously, I think that will uh, that will uh, improve the diagnosis. And also encourage, I think, people with the epilepsy and their families to record things more because that information can be really powerful, I think, in diagnosis or a re-diagnosis or whatever. <laughs> 100%. And also I forgot to mention that, and this is even more complex, that people with epilepsy uh, are not free to have uh, psychogenic seizures. So we can still find uh, this comorbidity together. So that is even more complex. Actually, I know two people, one with learning disabilities, one with quite the opposite. Um, and they said to me, they can't tell themselves if they're having a, you know, psychogenic or an epileptic seizure, they can't tell. And again, that just shows how crucial it is to have EEG and analysis and, and all that type of thing. Yeah, it's really interesting. So we need more staff. <laughs> and the thing is, uh, these people, they are really exposed to a stigma by the society. People with non-epileptic seizures sometimes uh, stop having a normal life because if they have a non-epileptic seizure and people know that they have non-epileptic seizures, they might think that they are mimicking or, or... Anyway, I think like having more resources and ha having more beds of video telemetry would be crucial for the diagnosis. Let me remember that in Ireland there are only for adults, there are only six beds of uh, video telemetry in all the country, four in Beaumont and two in Cork. And, wow. and we have approximately 40,000 of people with epilepsy in Ireland. So the list for video EG monitoring at Beaumont Hospital is from 12 months uh, to 18 months. And with the pandemic, everything has, has delay. So that's why our poor patients cannot access to a gold standard diagnosis sometimes and it's not because we don't want it's because we cannot accommodate everyone basically politicians need to fund 
this care and treatment and everything much more which will save the economy and save the government money anyway to do that so um and it's outrageously interesting outrageously interesting what you guys are doing so when i come over let's do a video together and we can show people around your workplace that would be amazing so they can actually see all the you know the effort that goes into what you do how complicated it is it's not just about looking at some wavy things for instance you know on a bit of paper and it's not about you know patting somebody on the back saying oh sorry to hear about that now bye it's a lot more goes in into it and a lot of the preparation behind the scenes as well as you're saying all these meetings that you have with your colleagues on various sort of in different departments and it's reassuring to hear how much you care as well you know often we'll forget what you've said so to be able to hear and see you caring so much for people right now is is really powerful and means a lot to us so thank you Thank you for your time and for the opportunity. Thanks so much to Javier for telling us about what an extensive role both he and other advanced nursing practitioners in epilepsy play in the role of care and quality of life for those affected by the epilepsies in Ireland. Also, a big thank you for him telling us about the wide range of people that he cares for and also the colleagues that he works with. Do remember to check out Javier's blog on epilepsysparks.com where he writes about his previous role as an epilepsy nurse researcher at King's College London. Next week, I shall be chatting to Alexandra Fonzi, a genomic and molecular biotechnologist from L'Aquila in Italy, who will be telling us how her epilepsy research project in the field of whole genome sequencing has like, really opened her eyes to the impacts of the epilepsies among the lives of so many people, but also how that gives her motivation to help change the lives of those affected for the better. Follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn or Facebook, and we'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about today's show. Do subscribe to our podcast and know that we are always trying to improve what we are doing here for the programme. I'm Tori Robinson. Thanks for listening.